This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Musay and Thomas. I am Chase Thomas and I am the sports writer who will be talking about movies in this podcast. And I am joined by not sports writer, no, no, film director, Philip Musay. Philip, good evening, sir. How are you? What's up, my man? It's been a, it's been a while. It's been two weeks, which I guess in in writer terms, depending on how dramatic I one is, I swear to God, if you say could Fortnite, be, uh, it could be two years. Okay. A fortnight. <laughs> no, that that actually would have been better. It's been a fortnight. Yeah, yeah. Four score, four score, and eighty mm-hmm. something thousand years ago. It's been a while. Anyway, what's up? How you doing? <laughs> how do you feel about this this film that I made you watch? <laughs> um, well, as crawling. the listeners can see, uh, we we watched A Cure for Wellness um, for the podcast this week. A uh, little long, Philip. A little annoyed that you gave me a two and a half hour film. Yeah. Not going to lie. You're right. It is a little. Didn't need to be this long. But it, w- it was worth it. It was. Um, yeah, I think you're right about that. But it was a it was a it was a ride. It was it was a ride. I mean, I, w- I don't know if it was a thrill ride necessarily, but it certainly I feel like I certainly were, was brought to other places with this. Um, so was generally uh, positive. So was Lockhart, you know. So he was, was Lockhart, our main character. Oh, oh, Lockhart, Lockhart, our man was. Uh, yeah, let's just say he was transported to um, places that few will seldom frequent. So I guess we can get into it. Do you want to do that? Or should we talk about splashboards? <laughs> or Bernadette? It's up to you. I don't, think we can, I don't think we can uh, We can bring this back to Bernadette. There's no Bernadette vibes really in this. Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can probably, I'll, I'll challenge myself to make at least one Bernadette reference. Um, throughout the course of this you think you can do it but uh i think i think i can and i and full disclosure like my my take on this film is extremely philosophical um so i i mean i'm i have thoughts and opinions on like the filmic nature of this the obviously there were images that were beautiful and and you know you really liked the cinematography like i was really drawn to some of the sequences where they were shooting um shooting at this castle and you could see the 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 landscapes in the back i mean that was all beautiful but to me my read on this was incredibly internal um so that's kind of where my head's coming from which probably lends itself fairly well to bernadette Hmm. well first let's start why did you choose this choose this movie why did you what drew you to this movie what did you know about it coming in um, well, so it's been on my list for a few years now. Um, I think we had had a conversation about the interplay between, um, like corporate America and, and your favorite, the, essentially the, the rat race, right? Like do like the haves and the have nots doing what you love versus doing what, what, what makes a living. Um, and I think from the outset, from the very first time I saw this trailer, like I was, I was, uh, very much dealing with like my own internal, um, struggles for what it meant to be a participant in, in modern society and a modern capitalist society. Um, and I think this film addresses it in, 
<laughs> and large helpings. Let's just let's say that. So, um, I can give the I can give my my kind of synopsis, and then maybe we can jump into some. We can go down the rabbit hole if if you're willing to step into this uh, in, into this into this wormhole with me. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> All right. So, so essentially, this is your movie, the, man. I'm just seat, gonna go ahead and tell you. This I'm gonna. My... This is this is gonna be your podcast. Your name comes first on the the Muse and Thomas Mantle, anyway. But um, I'm going to let you lead this one because uh, I still have <laughs> like 19 questions about this movie, and I don't think I liked it. <laughs> and that's that's a that's totally fair. I think that's an that's an an entirely uh, expected reaction to this. I liked it. I actually really liked it. Um, it. It has like 42% on Rotten Tomatoes, but this film, I love films that um, raise more questions to me than provide answers, but but here's the gist. So first of all, I would recommend that if you're listening to this podcast and you're interested in exploring very, very large questions about what it means to be human, what the human condition is, how to participate in society without going insane. Um, this this film is definitely up there with with you know some of the most mind bending pictures um, that have that have that at least I've seen. So basically, what happens in this is is that uh, the CEO of of a New York um, financial services firm disappears to. Uh, a strange retreat in the Alps, where uh, I guess you could say the the capitalist elite go to purge themselves um, of of all the wrongdoings they've committed against humanity. So, so the CEO disappears, and the company sends this junior executive, um, played by Dan Dan Dehan, um, who I like a lot. And the junior executive's name is is Locke. Yeah, he was. I thought he was. I thought he was great in this. I haven't seen him in other things. I know he's he's. Um, He's only 34, so so you know I expect him to do a lot more. But basically, and, his character is sent to. Say, he does not look yeah. uh, anywhere close to 34. As someone who is 29 and has never been told, "Wow, huh. you look exactly 29 years old." Uh, he looks. <laughs> you look young for you. Yeah, so does he. He looks maybe 21. Maybe. Well. Yeah, I think he he looks very boyish. Like he looks like a like fresh out of out of business school. Like mm-hmm. he's got that he's got that new new look to him. But anyway, he's his name is Lockhart. He's a young thirty something. He has clearly drunk the Kool Aid of of the fast paced kind of Wall Street lifestyle. He's just got a corner office. He's moving up the ladder at, at his firm. He's got the you know the quote unquote killer instincts required to make it on Wall Street. And he's even committed some light fraud right so <laughs> you know he's he's got all the makings of uh of of a uh, of you know a stereotypical kind of wall street villain um but when he gets to this retreat and he you know discovers the dark secrets that you know lie within the castle walls of this of this retreat his sanity is tested and and he's ultimately brought to a breaking point now this is a psychological thriller and it absolutely calls into question what is real and what is not. And um, it's hard to watch this without feeling like you're being taken for a ride. Um, so, you know, I kind of want to focus on things that uh, allow us to have a commentary on, on the, what the real implications are for for true life as opposed to some of just like the out of left field batshit crazy things that happen that are kind of just like that doesn't really make sense on paper there there's plenty of that stuff like don't get me wrong but i think the questions that this film raises are really important so to me this film starts in in kind of one zip code and ends in a completely different one um it's it's not what you expect you know it starts off like any corporate drama but it it kind of quickly plunges into this magical realist hellscape with with medieval alchemists and eels that eat your insides and incest and immortality and and palace intrigue and um and it's also a pretty you know gory tale and i think this film's departure 
I'm curious to hear what you think about this, but like, I think this film's departure from reality is actually emblematic of the biggest theme of the movie, which is that in real life, things are not always as they seem. And everyone, I think, should be able to relate to that theme in some way. The second theme, it, it, to me, deals with the human condition. Um, for most of the film, you know, the, the makers are explicitly suggesting that the human condition is, is fundamentally depraved, that we're all kind of lost souls driven to madness um, by the capitalist society that we live in. And the only way to save ourselves, ironically, is by purchasing a very expensive experience to help us feel normal again. So, so you've got the world's corporate elite feeling shameful of the things that they've done to accelerate the destruction of the planet, buying this exclusive um, therapy treatment in the Alps to purge themselves of their guilt, right? And so essentially it's, it's therapy by, by consumption. And I actually think that's that's not something that just the elite do. I think that's something that we all do, right? Whether it's buying, you know, tickets to Coachella or paying thirty dollars to rent a movie on Disney Plus, I think all of us have have an inborn tendency to want to escape reality, and some more than others. And and the consequences of of this can cost us very little. It can cost us, obviously, you know, just. just a few a, a Netflix subscription, or it can cost us a lot, as we see in this movie. It can cost us everything. So, so those are the two the two you know big things. Things are not as they seem, and uh, and humanity is just predisposed to need to like escape our 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 fundamentally depraved condition. Um, so that was those were kind of the big ideas from from what I took away. But um, what 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 big questions did, did you come away with? Ambition is something that I've always thought about and struggled with, and have written about ad nauseum. But I thought this movie started off really well in that we got to see what it looked like when you were just the workaholic type thing where we see workaholic a lot, especially in movies. And it always looks healthy. Like the person who is a workaholic looks normal and well-adjusted <laughs> and just like, it's, it's a quirk for a lot of people and <laughs> American culture um, loves to romanticize the workaholic. And mm -hmm. I think this movie is an indictment on that. And what it means to to just do something because you want to move up the ladder. And that is something he is faced with quickly where he doesn't even realize that he is just blinded by ambition and blinded by money and blinded by power. And part of it is because he is thinking about every other person around him. When he's staring out into the city, he's thinking about the power that he is uh, wielding by cutting corners, by working harder than everybody else, by just being a, a just an albatross and it's, yeah. it pays off for him to an extent, but it, it costs him normalcy. It costs him a personality. That's not uh, just dreadful. It costs him a normal life and he doesn't know what to do with that. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people. That's like why retirement is so um, disconcerting for a lot of people is that they can't imagine just not, not being glued to their work and not tying their identity to their work. And uh, this place is about removing your work identity, at least uh, ostensibly. So I thought that was my biggest mm -hmm. takeaway. I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's spot on, right? Like what you're describing with that scene uh, where he's in his office looking at the, the, the New York city streets below that kind of master of the universe shot is, is very indicative of, of the rat race, right? And I think this this commentary makes um, a really unexpected and nuanced commentary on that on that proverbial rat race um, and what it means to kind of fight for survival. Um, I think I think when making a story like this, a story of of the haves and the have-nots, I think it's really easy, especially in um, 
in, you know, for artists who have very strong opinions, which is probably redundant because to be an artist, I think you have to have a strong opinion. I think it's really easy in art to dismiss, you know, the capitalists as, as purely evil, right? We're looking at Lockhart, you know, staring ominously at the city streets below. Um, so it's very easy for us to see him as the bad guy. Uh, while we paint, you know, ourselves or, or at least, you know, we look at the characters, uh, who agitate the system, who we, who we, we would like to be more, um, more akin to, we look at those people as purely good, but, but that binary, I don't think exists in this film. I think everyone is flawed. And by, so, so even though the, the, the story takes place in this exclusive, you know, mountain town, and it's and it's primary you know primarily follows the 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 purging of of the rich and famous the the characters that are not on screen that is everyone basically in in the in the town below right we get to experience um we get to experience them for for several minutes in the film but then also the the folks back in new york right the the partners at the firm um, the, the, the people on the streets below, I think all of those people are characters in this film. And I, and, and I truly believe that everyone, um, that is de- depicted in this and everyone who's by extension not depicted is, is broken. I think we see that, you know, the film isn't so much about the moneyed interest versus the, the rest of society. It's, I actually think it's about our, our collective action problem as, as like a, as a species to actually set up a society that respects human dignity. I think it's about, um, it's about, you know, every individual's constant need to reject his or her own humanity in order to fit in, you know, in order to feel like they're part of a society in the first place, no matter how, how broken it is. Um, and, and we do that. I think everyone does that, whether they're in the boardroom Right. Or, or at a dive bar. I think, I think we have a tendency not to speak up as individuals, you know, not to rock the boat when we see something wrong with, with the society that we live in. Um, I think the, the I film think shows adapt that without knowing it. Hmm. Does that make sense? Where I think to... we just, we get in the current. It's like you, you dive into some body of water and you don't, you're swimming along and then you just, before you know it, you're just, you're completely caught up in that thing that you were nervous about. You you didn't even realize that you're caught up in the current. Well, d- is that, is that adaption or is that like a, is that essentially like a retrogression or a, a mm. devolution of, of what it means to be human? Cause it, to, to adapt suggests that you're becoming, uh, it, you're become, you're developing, I guess, a better symbiosis with, with nature and with those around you. You're elevating, the 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 collective well-being of society whereas you know i guess what i think this film is suggesting is that because of how we've set up modern society because we have folks who own so much and folks who own so little um no matter what what side of of that spectrum you're on you are a participant in that system whether you're middle class whether you're poor whether you're rich we all we all consent to the contract of 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 participating in let's just call it american society because it provides us stability so when you say we adapt do you do you mean to say that we're you know we're adapting and making things better or are we are we adapting and and making the you know our 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 individual selves better enriching our own individual lots and therefore dragging other people down in the process what what what's the what kind of side yeah absolutely yeah. the latter and so i guess my I, here's here's the thought so you know in order to feel i would say humans humans want to feel like we're not you know losing ourselves or losing some part of ourselves that just doesn't feel good right um, bad news. And folks. so I think that you're losing is part of yourselves at your job as you're writing into work, listening to this podcast, <laughs> a little bit of yourself like, will be, uh, removed from your day at work. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, but like that, see, that is, that is the, that is the truest kernel 
to to this film, which which is why I think I wouldn't say it's profound, but it's like, like ma- while I was watching this, I had a lot of questions, and I was I was really shaking my head yes to like what it's implying, you know this this yes. need for escapism wheel to wheel, cope. All right, wheel uh, eel eel baths. You were just shaking your head. You're like this. Yeah. This is what we're missing. <laughs> eel baths. This is what we need. Some eel baths. I need. I know eel, you guys I guess are we'll up get to, to this, or maybe we won't. I know. I know what the eyes yeah. are up to. We, I know. Part where that tuition money stuffed goes. each other's intestines with eels and mm-hmm. drain drain. I don't even really know how to explain the process of what they did, and we don't really have to get into it. <laughs> we got, I didn't. I mean, that, that was, was something I had a major question like, about because I still don't really understand how all that worked. Yeah, man, I'm like, I I'd say I'd say let's leave it. I don't know if we have time to to get into that. I, we'll I leave it to the fan theories, fiction my writers. Question, Oh yeah, oh yeah. We we gotta get we've gotta get the the conspiracy theorists involved. On the, actually, no, never mind. No conspiracy theorists. I was gonna no, say no, never. I, you never want to advocate <laughs> for that. I don't know what you're doing there. No, you never do. Unless it's unless it's a good conspiracy. Like, no. Uh, what are you doing? Why are you going back? You, you keep bouncing back and forth. You, no, you really want to give no. them credence. No. Did you hear? Did you hear about all of the the people who are conspiring to uh, to feed the homeless? That's a good conspiracy. Anyway, my question is, would you rather live in a broken society where everyone is out to enrich themselves? Or would you rather live in a perfectly, you know, uh, a seemingly perfect mountain cult where, you know, you feel great all the time? I think part of the reason that people don't stay on vacation for months at a time, you know, like how you go on a honeymoon, um, not that you've ever gone on a honeymoon, but yes. like the idea behind it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. If, folks, if you did not already know this, Philip's gone on several. He's been a, he's been a serial divorcee. Um, serial divorcee. I, I divorce serials every day. <laughs> um, don't like Captain. Well, hold on. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll move right on past that little, that little side jab, but, um, we don't do it. We, like, we, we think we're like, why don't we do this more? Like when you get away for a couple of days, you're like, why do I, why do I not do this more? There's a reason the weekend is shorter than weekdays. And it's that I think we get restless. It feels really good, but I think we're programmed to, to really need to be accomplishing something, to be working towards something or to keep our mind occupied on something and too much indulgence of just like calmness and nothing going on and clarity and a very simple, let's read the paper and drink our mineral water and play some weird (laughs) croquet, I think would wear on us. Would it be very nice for a couple of days? Do we want to get away to the Bahamas for a honeymoon? Absolutely. Do we want to move our stuff there and then just live on the beach for 27 years? No, I don't think any of us actually really want that um, or would enjoy it. I mean, plenty of cultures do it. Yeah. Oh, I thought we were talking about American culture. I don't think uh, yeah, the way I we guess are, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think our culture is just different. I don't think growing up the way we grow up, we'd be able to handle it. Yeah, but I think, Do you think I, you could? I'm interested in pushing you to make a value judgment. Like, mm. I, I, I know I couldn't. I know I yeah. couldn't. I, I couldn't either. I think my, my, the answer to my own question is I would much rather live in a broken society mm. um, where everyone is out to enrich themselves. But I would, I would also... I think I would find a lot of purpose in in creating pathways for for people to make that society better, like to improve that society. Um, there, in no way, shape, or form would I want to live in a cult where everything is perfect, no matter how how deep I am. And like, let's say I I I was a willing and full participant in in this retreat where I'm like living in a constant state of bliss. Uh, I, I I don't even, I like to me, that just sounds horrifying. It just sounds like if, if I, if, if I had done something as a, as a captain of industry or as like a, as, as, as an elite, you know, 
banker or whatever. Like if I had done something that so horrible that it, 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 it had made me wake up to my own, uh, complicity in, let's say the destruction of the planet. Like, let's say I'm an oil tycoon and I wake up one day and I'm like, Oh shit, I have, I I've, I'm ruining the planet. You know, the, the, the hilarious thing about this film is that if you're in that position, you have so much wealth and power and insulation from reality that you don't even have to face your, your wrongdoings. You can just escape them. And, and that I think is, is more, is fundamentally uh, uh, morally wrong because what is the point of, of, of being on a, on a planet with, with 8 billion other people, you know, if you're just gonna, if you're just gonna ruin it and, and extract as much value for your own gain. I mean, these are the, these are the types of questions that, that it's brought up for me. Um, like for instance, what I ask myself, like, what is the cost of building a great institution? Mm. You know, like what, do, what do we relinquish in exchange for, material success and these are questions that i think we all have to face well, no matter you just gotta you gotta our, you gotta experiment on the surfs you really gotta pick those uh peasants oh, apart sec. my um my audio cut out sorry say that again i uh you gotta experience i sometimes you just have to experiment on uh some surfs on some on some uh some peasants because if you don't how are you gonna find the kids <laughs> gotta experiment on the serfs that's why we freed the serfs you dolt <laughs> and the slaves too that's why we don't do <laughs> that's why we don't do human servitude or feudalism anymore um yeah it's that's real you know like that's <laughs> i think we we evolve our societies so that you know we we try as much as possible to minimize human suffering as, as, as history goes on, you know? So like, whereas I'm glad that we're not living in the, in the middle ages where, you know, a baron can steal my children to experiment on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I'm glad that is well, the case. Fair, like I still, the pure blood is, is rather important. And, um, we can't, we can't understate <laughs> just how important we can't it is risk. to keep that purity. Yeah, incest is just bad, you know. Just, mm-hmm. just don't. Just, it's just bad. Uh, uh, there, there's, there's, there's no, there's no justification for it. Uh, <laughs> unless it's in a film, a bit and you're trying to make Cersei people feel. and Jamie are one of my favorite, both fictional hmm. on the screen and off the screen in the books. Uh, relationship that um, I still hold very much dear. Very Wait, are they are they Jamie in a relationship off screen? Lannister. Well, I mean, off screen in the books. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, for but see, that's still it's 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 happening in a fictional uh, fantasy realm. It's correct. Um, yeah, the realm of Seven Kingdoms. So mm-hmm. let it. Well, let's, you let's listeners keep it out there, there, let's keep it um, there. if you would they like to to practice it and see how it works out for you, please email us at chasemuspodcast at gmail and let us know how the results about we're curious actually it's more yeah, philip who's curious than myself uh, don't, i don't, don't encourage do it but philip that. you say do is that. the one who uh is rather curious nope not a chance mm-hmm. not a chance if unless you want to end up with a with a joffrey um nobody wants that anyway <laughs> nobody wants. i don't even think joffrey wants that um i think i think about you know how many times in our lives we're we're confronted with the choice to, to do things by the book or, or cut corners, right? Like Lockhart mm-hmm. had ample opportunity to do things the, the quote unquote right way, right? Like to move up the ladder in his company, uh, by, by following the rules, following regulations, uh, you know, abiding by SEC guidelines, but he didn't do that. And I think we're all, um, we're all faced with opportunities in our lives where, uh, in order to get ahead, like we're, we're offered chances to, to not play by the rules. 
Um, and I think a lot of people sometimes get away with that. I think we can see that in, in our politics right now. Um, and a lot of times people don't, you know? Uh, so that's, that's why, I, I mean, I really feel like this, this, this film is, it raises a lot of like fundamentally universal questions. Like the one, one, another huge theme was, was redemption, right? Like how much redemption is possible after you've done so much wrong. Is there a, is, is, is there like a cosmic ceiling to how much redemption a person can receive after they've, uh, after they've, you know, uh, destroyed rainforests and, and caused, you know, housing markets to collapse. Um, what's, what's the limit on, 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 on the things that are forgivable? Um, just really interesting stuff, man. Really interesting stuff. Kind of depressing too, but you know, it's things that we need to talk about. <laughs> it's certainly depressing. Oh, man. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think there's a clear answer here. I think it's just one of those that you just have to like, so much of it is just being conscientious, right? Like that's what I always come back to is the more conscientious you are of these things and these, cause we all have different versions of this in our own lives and certain jobs make you uh, more prone to move ahead because there's like a, in his work and I think you've avoided the financial sector aspect of this where what his job is mm-hmm. is to ultimately make money and to work for powerful people who also make money for other powerful people so it's just like the right. they they look proudly at him just pausing for a second and then spinning it back on them in that in that boardroom meeting of just being like if you guys were actually going to feed me to the FCC then uh, I would have already been fed and yeah that's true I, he's rewarded he's for being a shark and i think there are certain professions <laughs> and this is one of those where you um rise faster by being that kind of personality type i mean it's the wolf of wall street type deal too where it's just yeah. there is a certain kind of job that values this sort of um commitment and this sort of uh personality and uh I don't know. I just, I think it's not the same if you're a third grade elementary school teacher. I don't think you're faced with the same <laughs> daily moral uh, dilemmas. That would be terrifying. I've, I've got to move up to fourth yeah, grade. Like, I don't think I they're. Will kill, exactly, I will kill like someone I, <laughs> to move up to fourth grade. I don't think they're planning evidence. I will shred blood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's a great point. I, um, I, it's, it's, Again, it's it's. I think it's really easy to 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 demonize people like that, you know. Um, uh, but that's not that's not what I think the film ultimately succeeds in doing. Nor do I think that it was this film's intent. Because, like I said, it starts out as this corporate drama where it's like, oh, like typical Wall Street, like cutthroat dude. But then it goes into this entirely different magical realist realm where. It, it it has nothing to do with you. We've left like we're not in Kansas anymore. Like we've left Wall Street entirely, and we're and we're dealing with with uh, with you know uh, alchemy and twisted experiments and and immortality and like the fountain of youth uh, and strange little girls. Who I mean, Mia Goth is not a little girl. <laughs> I think she was she was like 22 when she played uh, 22, 23 when she played this, but she like fundamentally looks like a, she looks like a 14 year old girl, I guess. And, and the way that they've like, they, they, they're they're they, they've dressed her in these like flowy gowns and her, her movements are very like ingenue. And, um, she just, she, she like exudes youth in this. And, and there are moments where you think that, um, that Lockhart is, is like coming on to her and, um, you, you know, we kind of slip back into that, that, uh, that, that wall street kind of hunter mode. Um, and like, no, like having worked in finance and like having had experiences with other people, like being out with other guys and knowing how like they talk about going after girls and bars and whatnot. Like it very much felt like that. 
And that was an opportunity to just get a glimpse at that, that kind of assholey type that, uh, that everyone loves to hate. But then, <laughs> then we're like back into the film and, and things are happening to him that, that maybe we don't think that he deserves. Like, do you think someone deserves to have their teeth pulled out without anesthesia? Like, do you think someone deserves to have, um, to be strapped to a gurney and have like strange eels pumped into their body to, so that they can be, be a vessel for some 400 year old madman to, to sell his fountain of youth juice. (laughs) Yeah. He makes an appearance in this, that, that, that's it. I mean, the whole, the whole thing is is an allegory for the Trump administration. saying who dessert, Never mind. Continue. Yeah, that's what I'm. I think I was taking the conceit a bit further. I, mm. I mean, <laughs> but I get what you're saying. Mm. Um, let's talk about let's talk about this like the the title, right? Like the title is of the movie is is a cure for wellness. Mm. Um, and I think I think that's one of the most one of the most fascinating things about the film is 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 how it deals with the concept of of wellness, right? Like the the title ironically suggests that there is a cure for this condition called wellness. And what I interpreted wellness was, was this, you know, the state of, of blissful ignorance that we can, we can tap into as members of, of modern society, whether it's through social media, whether it's through, you know, our, our relationships with the wrong people, whether it's through, you know, substances, whatever. Um, I think, I think the, the whole concept of a cure for our, for our ignorance or for our discomfort with life is, is a farce. Like there is no cure for the morass that we live in, you know, short of doing the actual work of making a better world. And I think the film shows us that, uh, humanity is, 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 is kind of wholly uninterested in, in, in doing the work to make that better world. Like we tolerate inequality and corruption and injustice uh, because we depend on the stability that that a nevertheless corrupt society provides us, you know that mm. is our wellness. Um, that is that is what we let stand. And you know, for those among the elite who happen to wake up one day and and recognize, oh, I'm corrupt. You know, <laughs> for those people, there there's there is this outlet. You know, there's this retreat high in the mountains. Where they can, you know, absolve themselves of their sins by by not having to confront them at all. That is that is insidious type of wellness, and I think that is one of the things that is so antithetical to progress, right? Because the people who have the power to change, or the people who are in positions of power, because I shouldn't say the people who who have the power to change things, because I think humanity acting as or people acting as groups from a grassroots level, absolutely have the power to change things. But for the elite who live in this perpetual state of bliss, you know, I think this film is ultimately very suggestive of how people like that, people who are ruining the world are able to sleep at night because here, here's an opportunity to, to make, you know, recompense for, for being a bad person. (laughs) And, and you go away, like, if you think about prison, right? Like prison is where you go to pay your debt to society, uh, where you go to reflect on what you've done and your rights are taken away from you because you've done something bad. Whereas this retreat is for <laughs> from people who have who have you know uh, uh, s- stolen um, stolen uh, uh, people's livelihoods, right? People who have built you know, financial empires that have, that have been, uh, uh, that have subtracted from the well-being of others. Um, all they, their punishment is, is essentially that they get to go to this posh, you know, retreat in the Alps where the views are stunning and they get to take a serum that helps them forget about how, forget about the wrongs that they did. Like how, how hilarious and how true to life is that as a concept? Like, if you think about the, the the 2008 financial crisis, like the people who caused and who who willfully, you know, oversaw the the destruction of the financial markets 
none of them went to jail. And in fact, every most of them received bonuses. And all of those regulations that were put in place to ensure that nothing like that happens again have been rolled back, you know, and essentially those who commit those wrongdoings are rewarded. And that is, that is our state of wellness. And, and we're all, we're all participants in that, in that contract. The fact that you and I are, are sitting here, you know, having a, a discussion where we're talking about, oh, well, something's wrong, you know, like. I still, I still personally benefit from, from, from the the way that society is set up. You benefit from the way society is set up, I and mean, we both were able to get great educations. We're, 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 you know, we both have have stable income, stable jobs. Like, uh, we're, we're able to grow up in in uh, in affluent areas. Like, uh, just because we're not the bad guy doesn't make us blameless um because we're still we're still participants and then as long as you're as long as we're not changing anything about the reality of of the inequality and the injustices that exist um we're 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 aiding and, and abetting them like and i know that's a strong statement but this is what these are these are the ideas that i that i think that the film is is getting across It's inescapable. Sorry to be some, so political. <laughs> no, I mean, I just think it just feels like these are things we've been dealing with and choosing not, I guess maybe a better way of describing it is but choosing not to deal with. <laughs> and like you said, this social contract to uh, overlook certain things. I mean, that's really what this election um, is really the undertones of this election deal um, so much with this, but I, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't think that it's solvable. I don't think it's fixable. I think individually you can do what you can, but uh, I I have Hmm. a very cynical perspective on this. Do you? Interesting. Well, what, what do you, do you mean like all of society's ills can't be solved? No, I just, I don't. I think there's so much of this comes down to good faith from a universal amount of people. And I don't think that's a possibility. I really don't. One of the biggest concerns I have I think it is. more than anything and where humanity yeah. is going as a culture right now is yeah. bad faith arguments. There, I think I, I the ad hominem fallacy. Yeah. And I just, it, it, it really bothers me. It's why I avoid certain conversations more than I had in previous years. It's just because I think a lot of people have conversations that are uncomfortable and bad faith. And they go into it in bad faith, know that they're in bad faith, and still do it anyway and waste everybody's time. And then we all just get mad, and then nothing gets done. I think that is the new norm. And I'm not certain that that's going to change anytime soon. I think it's actually going to get worse. I I feel the opposite. Um, and that's I'm good. drawn to I'm glad. this... <laughs> <laughs> one, of, one of us and not just to have a, a contrarian view i mean i i truly do believe the opposite because you know i think we can we can i'm not going to advocate for you to join my progress thing yeah well <laughs> that would make this conversation a a lot less interesting and b uh pretty pretty dismal for <laughs> on for the outlook of of where the world is going but there's one quote in this uh, in this film that, um, it, I mean, I thought about it, it still doesn't really make sense to me because that I think it undermines like the whole premise of the film. But if I go with the logic that I'm kind of teasing around, um, I, I can try to make sense of it. So, so the quote is, um, uh, Jason Isaac's character, who's kind of like the mad scientist who's running the, the, uh, the whole, um, cat, the retreat, uh, is is you know telling Lockhart his evil plan, and he comes to this this capitulation where he says, "Do you know what the cure for the human condition is? Disease. For only then is there hope for a cure." And and I I I thought about it, and I've kind of like my takeaway is okay. So the human condition is um is is let's call it a, a depraved one, and the only way to save ourselves from the human condition is to 
foment more disarray and disease and confusion and destruction because only through the existence of those things can we have hope for a cure. So, and and essentially what I take that to mean is that um, hope is the thing that keeps humanity going. Now, yes, I I 100% agree with that. Right. But the premise of that, I I actually don't agree with Mm. like hope, hope as the premise that keeps things going. I actually think that hope, hope can be, hope is kind of a double-edged sword, right? I think the human condition is to, is to hope for, for the best. Right. Um, but I also think that hope is part of this collection, collective active collective action problem. I think hope is sometimes an impediment to action, just as I think hope can be a precursor to action. But I think hope is an impediment to action because it separates us from the actual issues at hand. And, and it, it almost kind of transfers responsibilities to others, right? So we hope that the politicians that we elect will represent our interests. But that is, that is, that, that is kind of a, that's a fallacy because once we elect those people and we, we put our, our hope and faith in them, that means that we don't have to continue to apply the pressures that are necessary to them to uphold, uphold democratic ideals, right? Hope is just this kind of, um, hope is like a credit card that we swipe, you know, to, to pay for, uh, the feeling that, um, that we're being taken care of and, and hope opens us up to this idea that there's a cure for everything. Right. And, and I think the allure of a cure is, is too resistible, almost always too resistible to turn away from If you, if you, if someone tells you that, the, the 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 condition that you're suffering from, which is making your life a living hell, someone which is just called, you know, let's just call it being alive, right? Um, if someone told you that the the cure is this thing, here it is, take it, then you would take it, right? And ultimately, I think that feeds our our thirst for quick fixes and panacea panaceas, and and I think that ends up being our demise. Like Beckett said in um, in Endgame, there's this one line where he says, I think, um, there's, uh, there's no cure for being on earth or something to that effect. Um, um, yeah. So, yeah. So you're on earth. There's no cure for that. And, and I think that is a, that is a, that is a brilliant line because it means that there is not a cure for everything. And, and to, and, and that includes, that, sorry, that, that precludes hope being the, the fix, the fix it tool for our discontent with, with where we are in life. Um, so where does my optimism come from? <laughs> right. I think, I think we have to walk this really fine line when it comes to hope. I think we can use it as a, as a precursor for action. We can use it as, as a tool to, you know, uh, mobilize people, but we can't rely on it as a, as a mechanism to, to keep our society in check. And I think what gives me, um, a a sense of optimism with where our, you know, our species is going is that we're always in motion. I mean, you said it earlier Uh, as Americans, like we cannot, we basically, we basically can't sit still. Like we would, none of us in our right minds, uh, based on the inculcation that um, we've gone through as American citizens, or I should say very few of us, basically, you know what I'm trying to say. I would say it it would be highly unusual for for Americans to sit back and watch their society fall apart. Mm -hmm. Um, I think think we've seen times that uh, have been much worse than the times that we're living in. Um, from, from like the rise of, of populism from that standpoint. And I think we're, we're very, we're willing to have dialogues with each other, despite what the media suggests. Um, and I think removing media from that equation might actually do the country some good, or at least removing the elements of media that 
that seek to foment that tension between hope and despair. I mean, the, the whole point of media is to create this, this never ending drama where, um, where someone is always the bad guy, which makes people have bad faith arguments. You know, I, I just think that we're, 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 we're going to get to a good place because we're Americans. Like we're willing to, we're willing to sit down and we're willing to, to, you know, put our thinking caps on and roll up our sleeves and, and get the job done despite, despite who, um, who our elected officials are, despite who the, the dark money interests are, who are, who are, you know, installing their own, um, lieutenants and in the highest levels of society. Like, I think we can overcome that because that's just part of who we are as a, as a culture. I think that's good. I like this, Philip. This I was, hope so. You know what was good about this one, Philip, this this episode? Is it felt like um the this was where you you took the reins. You 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 took the reins of this podcast. Like your name comes first. And I'm proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful. I'm proud Be of careful. you. Careful. I may um, go solo. I'm just kidding. How many stars do you get this it. movie? Well, look, um, I give it, I give it four stars because of how it it melted, how it melted my brain. Mm. And I liked that, um, from like a, a plot standpoint, like, do you think it should have been, there are a lot of holes. (laughs) I think this movie should have been a solid six hours long it could have been a whole same no yeah it was it i thought it was the right length i thought it was the right length i thought you the ending right was a bit time, strange Philip, so that's that's nice uh, well i can try you can try. you can't always be right no my friend one of my one of my good friends told me you can you can't always be right but you can be on time <laughs> that one i still i think that's kind of corny but it's real did tim tebow <laughs> say that Probably, I yeah. may be thinking of a Tim Tebow. <laughs> Did you see his quote? You can't always be this right. Morning that everybody was dunking on it cracked me up. What? What do you say? Can I read this? Okay, keep going with what you were saying, and as I'm going to pull this up because it is an all timer. Um, <laughs> all timer. It's like you know the Pinterest boards, like the the people who think they're saying something interesting and thoughtful and it's just like oh they they thought this was really cool they thought this was like really really thought provoking they really thought they had tapped into something new here and uh okay the the internet was gonna love it so he said man he's tweeted a lot today what is this oh here it is would you rather be respected or liked imagine if we didn't have like buttons but instead we had respect buttons would you rather have 110 likes or 34 respects? <laughs> I mean, it's real, right? Like, it's real. I can I can imagine Tim Tebow saying that. Mm-hmm. It's like a yeah, dude. He had it's send like a, on that tweet and was like, "Boom, fire, done, nailed it." <laughs> what are What are people saying? Uh, just laughing at saying? it. And the first like comment is like this guy posting a video, corny. And, uh, yeah, it's really fun. <laughs> yeah. Just everybody's just not going on him. Corny. Yeah. 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 I mean, good on him for trying. I can't knock anyone for, for putting positivity into the world. I mean, that's, that's a real, I would, I think I would much rather have, uh, I disagree. The, the people at Publix who try and put positivity in the world, very adamantly opposed <laughs> to them. Um, sometimes to play workers. What happened at Publix? I just don't shop at Publix because I don't like the people there and I don't like the culture. I think Publix culture is toxic. Kroger culture is what the way to go. Kroger what? makes me happy. What is What even is Publix culture? <laughs> Publix what culture. What is that? <laughs> it, the lights. Have you ever noticed when you walk into a Publix, it's somehow just seven shades too bright always like you walk in yeah, and it's already no, turned true. up and you're <laughs> just like why are you shining a light true. on me immediately it's two o'clock in the yeah. afternoon why are the lights blasting um yeah the other thing is they're trained to come over and talk to you they're trained to be like are you fine everything okay are you are you are you good 
like, hey, sir, how are you doing? Every every aisle you walk down, you're having to look around to see if there's going to be some unsuspecting um, grocer who's going to come up to you and just be like, find everything okay? And I have to be the dick who just responds, I'm good. I uh, I was very, I, I just, I hate the culture. I hate being talked to when I'm at the grocery store. I hate just being asked if I'm finding everything okay in general. So Kroger, on the other hand, beautiful culture. No one likes working there, which I think is step one to really nailing the whole grocery store experience is that your employees don't want to be there either. Because when they don't want to be there, they don't work as hard. And that's what I mean. <laughs> There's there's a whole there's a whole uh there's a whole um uh ideology to this. Yeah, I've thought about it a lot clearly. Um okay. But if I was building my business, I would build a Kroger culture where everyone hates it. <laughs> no one talks to each other. No one wants to be there. They just want to clock in, clock out, get out of there. Um they're like, "I don't care." Like if I ask somebody at Kroger at 11:30 at night, "Hey, where's the bread aisle?" Guess what? There's a 30% chance they might just go, I don't fucking know, dude. And that, that is what I appreciate. That is the kind of customer service I want. So you hate Chick-fil-A, don't you? Love the food, hate the culture. Yeah. Don't like it. How can, all right, well, I mean, they're, they're, yeah, they're, okay. I I would get fired How it would be creepy to you. (laughs) I Thank you very like much. It. I don't like in your I, face niceness. I don't like intrusiveness when I'm out. I don't like because I just want to mind my own business. Usually, if I'm like shopping or something like that, I have earbuds in and I'm just trying to mind my own business. I don't need help. I'm a, an adult. Yeah. I will find you. I have a very strong opinion. Like, if I need help, I'll find you. Don't find me. Pretend I'm invisible. Pretend I'm not here. CEOs who are listening to this podcast and know you're big fans, don't do this with your company. Don't have customer service. <laughs> yes, that's the new wave, man. Don't just, just everyone. Uh, we should just, we should roll with this whole mask wearing thing, social distancing for forever. Like people should just not. Well, that's another conversation because be I around each other. Is that, that is that what you're saying? Well, I have theories on that. As well. <laughs> I am. I have some theories on where we're going with this. Um, but. Uh, We'll have to put a bow on that because that's another wormhole that uh, will extend this podcast to a two and a half hour show. Um, Wormholes are good. I've got great news. I know what movie we're watching next week. Yeah, we're watching uh, Spider-Man, right? Uh, No, we're not. Um, We are doing... (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Canceled it out. Um, We are watching uh, Green Room. Green Room with Patrick Stewart, the, the movie about the band? No. Yes, the movie about the band. Have you seen this? No, I I uh, I remember it coming out back in 2015. Okay, and adding um, it to my list. But that but it is with Patrick Stewart, right? I don't know. Uh, I think so. Actually, yes, I think so. Yes, it is. Uh, but I know it because okay. Jeremy Solnier, who directed and wrote Blue Ruin, which is one of my favorite movie indie movies of all time, did this. So I was going through some of my favorite indie directors uh, today and I was like, oh, Blue Ruin was like one of my favorites. And um, I was wanted to see if he had done anything else. And then I saw Green Room and I'm like, ooh, this sounds cool. Let's do this. Okay. Okay. How do you feel about it? Okay. Yeah, I'm in. Okay. Let's do it. Right. Let's do it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's a cinematographer too. That's, that's cool. I like... Um, I, I like it when directors, uh, well, writer directors also do cinematography because I think that's like incredibly difficult to do. Um, you're already managing enough. Did he do cinematography on the green room? Anyway, we'll talk about it next week. How exciting Uh, for Philip Musay, who we can find on Twitter at Philip with one L on Twitter at Philip Musay me at chase underscore thomas if you like listening to me saying thomas please leave a five-star rating and a review on apple Podcasts. if you're an apple podcast listener don't forget you can find the show on wherever you like to get your podcasts including apple spotify and google play go check out chase 
for all your information on the show, all my writing and all that good stuff. Uh, Philip, thank you as always, sir. And uh, we'll, we will be back next week. Let's do it. Stay